Have you heard the tale of the fable of the Mirror Breaker? Chapter 1. Dominate Limited as the number 2 card in the entire set. Chapter 2. Have a breakout weekend at the Neon Dynasty Championships. Chapter 3. Fable of the Mirror Breaker transforms into a multi-format star, with dozens of finishes in the last week alone in Modern and Pioneer. Today on Faithless Brewing, we share our reflections on the saga of Kikijiki. So sit back, break a mirror, and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, coming to you from the Twin Cities, and I am joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Cave Dan Online. He is Cave Dan in our hearts. He's Daniel Schriever. Dan, what's up? Hey, I'm doing great, David. How are you? I'm well. Springtime, uh, starting to spring a little bit in Minnesota here. It's uh, The snow is melting. You know, it's a beautiful time. Minneapolis is starting to come alive. Oh man, it's like high summer here in North Carolina already, so <laughs> you guys are coming along. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, we had like our first 60 degree day. It was awesome to have like, even though there's still snow everywhere, just a bunch of like random shirtless dudes getting in uh, their miles <laughs> and whatnot. <laughs> well, for me, it's like toad mating season. There's unfortunately two large ponds right by where I live, so... <laughs> For the next two months, I'll be stepping on little toads wherever I go, anytime I go out for a walk or a jog. Oh, that's too bad. Toads are pretty cute, so hate to uh, kill them, but, you know, mm. if they're suicidal, <laughs> I guess we have to respect their right to step underfoot. <laughs> so, we're back in action. Uh, we got a sweet card to talk about today. It is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. There's actually a lot to say about it. I didn't think this is going to be a high priority card, but it's kind of having a moment right now. Just watching every day, like more and more people posting their fable lists. I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on here exactly, but we should definitely like take an episode and just dig into like exactly what's happening with this card. So that's the plan of attack for today's show. But before we get into all that, we should get our housekeeping out of the way at the top. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we would love to give a big shout out to our newest patron. Trolls M. Uh, I don't know if that is a reference to actual trolls online or if that is just a very sort of beautiful uh, foreign name, but uh, welcome Trolls M. Thank you very much for your support. Just a quick reminder, if you are a fan of the show and you'd like to support us, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Join at whatever level you feel is uh, appropriate, whatever is comfortable for you. And you get access to all kinds of stuff. You get access to the Discord where people are firing off deck lists, musing about cards, uh, posting some speculative lists, helping you tweak your brews. Um, you can get swag, you know, paper magic, maybe, fingers crossed, possibly, is uh, in the offing here. Um, so, you know, if you, if you want to swag up for uh, your latest FNM or, you know, fingers crossed again, maybe like a GP circuit, uh, Daniel, uh, that's the place to do it. Yeah, I know a few members of our Discord were just at the SCG Con Indianapolis last weekend. 
So it's really happening. I mean, you can show up and represent for the Faithless family at your next NRG or SCG or store championships or FNM, whatever it is. All of that you can find at the Patreon if you would like to support us. So, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. I liked it a lot when we first were going through the previews, but I didn't really expect anyone to like seriously put work in on the card. I don't think we touched it in the week since then. I didn't see anyone else talking about it either. But everything changed uh, a couple of weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago now? We had the set championship for the Neon Dynasty Championships. Split format, Historic and Alchemy. And Fable of the Mirror Breaker was the talk of the tournament. And the Alchemy format, Fable decks were just dominating the top tables. And they looked so sweet. Yeah, I mean, what, uh, what list specifically are you talking about? Uh, well, the, it made it all the way to the finals. I believe it was Zach Dunn's list. They call it Mardu Midrange. There was also a Grisus variant. But in Alchemy, there's a card called City Stalker Connoisseur. It kind of looks like Grief. I mean, it's three and a black for a 3-3. Three, three. Enters a battlefield, Thought seizes your opponents, and gives you some, like a blood token or something like that. With Fable, you can do some sweet locks with that. So that's like the ceiling of the card, but it turns out that just seeing this card in play all weekend, copying stuff for value, got a lot of people talking about what Fable could do for you. You know, sometimes it just takes people seeing a card in play for them to get the confidence, if we can use that word, to like actually put this card in your deck or brew around it and not feel like you're going to embarrass yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know what the timeline is if people were actually motivated in the way that you're describing. I know that this is a card Claudio has liked in Pioneer for a while. Um, was he motivated by, uh, like you're saying, seeing the, the card put through its paces at the uh, set championship? Uh, or is it something he was already working on? Uh, you know, the, the timeline there is, is a little oblique. Also, I do think the content creators are in a unique place to keep trying new things because they have to keep uh, their audience interested. So maybe they were, they're just, uh, their incentive structure is different than the average person, right? Who wants to just play an established deck that they know is, you know, maybe likely to result in wins. The content creator has to sort of try to find new cards that are interesting and, and see if they are playable. And that can lead to some uh, happy accidents. Yeah. When I say the card just showed up at the Neon Dynasty Championship, that's not really true. I mean, obviously, in order to bring a deck built around Fable to the championship, you have to have tested it for weeks. And we know that like a lot of the testing teams, these teams operate in discords, and there are a lot of the same people who are winning the PTQs on Magic Online. So it is probably the case that you know someone like Claudio or the other Zoomers, so the Zoomer Boomer Cabal, as they call it, while preparing for this set championship, were testing Fable decks, and you know that spilled over at some point into Pioneer. For my part, I've been playing a lot of Neon Dynasty Draft, and there you see that Fable of the Mirror Breaker is the number two card in the entire format, second only to Jugan Defends the Temple. And cards that are good in one format or cards that overperform in one format should at least invite us to like take a closer look at them. And I know, David, you disagree with this theory, <laughs> but I will fight you on it as many times as you want to fight about it. I don't care what the card is, Experimental Synthesizer... Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Adult Gold Dragon Week next week should be awesome. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, 4-3 lifelink haste, that's pretty good. Exactly. Soul Flare Resurgence. I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Soul Flare Resurgence. Much like uh, Cindy Lauper, it's going to head to the top and stay there forever. <laughs> 
I mean, you've been proposing multiple weeks of the modern age deck, so you have no leg to stand on here. <laughs> the modern age is like a medium plus, let's get above average card in draft. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I'm not proposing a card because it is good in a totally different format with a totally different context. I was proposing a card specifically because of how it interacts in the specific format I was talking about. But it also overperformed in draft. In any case, we digress a little bit. What is this card and what is all the fuss about? Let's go through what it does and then let's look at some of the lists because in the last week or 10 days, there's just an explosion of published Fable decks. I counted six different Fable of the Mirror Breaker decks in the Monday Pioneer deck dump alone, which is kind of crazy. In the Sunday Pioneer Challenge, nine of the top 32 decks were playing Fable of the Mirror Breaker across three different archetypes. Six different 5-0 lists in Modern, including a deck that took 11th place in the Modern Challenge. And as you mentioned, David, all the big streamers for various reasons trying out the card in Historic, and Alchemy, in Pioneer, even in Modern. Tell us about this card. Yeah, so this is one of the Enchantment Sagas. There are a bunch of them um, at all rarities. I think there's, a, there's common, uncommon, rare, and mythic rare uh, um, sagas. And they all have similar uh, templating, which is the third saga exiles the enchantment and brings a creature back into play. This one is two and a red for an uh, enchantment saga that makes a 2-2 red goblin shaman creature token with whenever this creature attacks, create a treasure token. The second one is you may discard up to two cards if you do draw that many cards. And then the third is exile the saga, return it to the battlefield, transform it on your control. It becomes Reflection of Kiki-Jiki. Uh, Kiki-Jiki is a uh, famous card from the original Kamigawa. This has the same ability uh, to create a token that's a copy of another target non-legendary creature, but of course it costs a mana. And the important thing to note is that it does not have haste. Um, the way that people talk about this card all the time is so <laughs> hilarious to me that I need to have something sweet around a copy. It's like, <laughs> your creature is going to die. This, this is uh, the first time it can trigger if you play Fable of the Mirror Breaker on turn three. And of course, there are decks that can play it on turn two, but so if you play Fable on turn three, you won't be able to activate your uh, Kiki Jiki uh, until turn six. Right. So you hit chapter three happens on your fifth turn. It comes back with summoning sickness. But you still have gotten your initial token and you discarded and drew and then you got a second body. So it's not a complete disaster. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that the the... Main uses of this card are functionally decks that just want a lot of game objects and uh, decks that are trying to fix a problem that Jund-like decks have where your your cards are a polarized format. So that second function is just transferring, you know, thought seizes into pushes or fatal pushes into thought seizes. Okay, so a couple of quick notes on exactly how this card works, just to make sure we're understanding everything. So your initial chapter one is going to give you a 2-2 red goblin shaman token. It generates treasure whenever it attacks. So it's a pretty reliable treasure generator. Unlike Ragavan, you don't have to actually connect. So if you're just planning on using this card to ramp from three to five, let's say, it more or less does that, assuming that your goblin shaman token isn't killed right away. The second chapter, the Seasoned Pyromancer ability, discard to draw two, uh, it's actually a little bit different, right? It's just a May, and it's discard up to two cards if you do draw that many cards. So you're never going to get card advantage. You're only going to draw cards equal to what you discarded. 
but very relevant compared to something like the modern age. This does not get destroyed by Narset. Modern age is a must, and this is a may. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Narset has got me a lot with modern age. It sucks really bad on the draw. <laughs> turn two, modern age. Turn three, they Narset. You just discard a card. Like, sweet. <laughs> So the timing of a saga is it goes on the stack as the first action of your first main phase. So that means you will have drawn your card for the turn. Um, so even if you cast this and you don't have any cards in your hand when you cast it, by the time chapter two triggers, you'll have drawn a card and you, you will have the opportunity to lose something away. Uh, the backside does not have haste. That's very important. As David says, this is true for all the Neon Dynasty sagas. They're extremely slow. The ability on the backside, if you ever do succeed in activating it. It has basically the same text as Kiki-Jiki's copy ability, except for tacking that mana on, so it can only target non-legendary creatures. However, because the backside of Reflection of Kiki-Jiki is not a legendary creature, that does mean that you're, you're like allowed to target itself if you have like a second copy. Let's say you have resolved two Fable of the Mirror Breakers. You flip them both to the Reflection of Kiki-Jiki, uh, they can actually just start copying each other because they are not legendary. Now, at some point, you will run out of mana, but it's actually still a useful thing to do because the timing of the Kikijiki ability says that the token stays around until your end step. And there's a workaround where if you activate it on your opponent's end step, for example, the token is created and then it's waiting for the next end of turn to tell it to remove itself, and it actually sticks around for your entire turn. So you could do this thing with like two reflection of Kiki-Jikis, copying each other a bunch of times on the opponent's end step, go to your turn, untap, and you have like all these tokens in play. Just for that turn, but that might be enough to win. Yeah, and just to clarify, you don't need them to be copying each other. So you can do this on turn seven if you've <laughs> resolved two sagas, your opponent hasn't done anything, whatever, they're stuck on one land. The second one doesn't need to be uh, unhasted. It does not need to be active because the token that the Kiki-Jiki makes is hasted. So on turn seven, at the end of that, at the end of your opponent's turn, you can go for it. They, they don't have to copy each other. The same one, it'll just keep making copies. So Yeah, yeah. So there are actually some combos that you can do with it. They're like a little more involved, but it's a totally different style of combo than the classic Kiki-Jiki. So classic Kiki-Jiki, you would combo by, you know, copying Restoration Angel or Felidar Guardian, and then that would blink your Kiki-Jiki Mirror Breaker, and then you do it again. But if you ever blink the Fable of the Mirror Breaker, it's a disaster, right? You, you flip back to the front side, and you have to wait three more turns before you get your Reflection. It's not a complete disaster. It's actually pretty good if you just want to loot again and get another treasure-making token, but you're going to combo in a, in a different way. For example, you know, you'd have like a Skirk Prospector, two Fable of the Mirror Breakers, and then you can do that thing where you're making infinite creatures. You never run out of mana because you feed them all to the Skirk Prospector. And then if you have Meteor Massacre in play, let's say, that, that wins the game. Right, yeah, I mean, the fourth turn after you play a Saga, using that as your like win condition, if it's something that you can put in your deck that you're playing all cards you want to play anyway, that's fine, but... I think you should really think of that more like the ultimate on a planeswalker, right? It's it's a threat that forces your opponent to do something, but it's not how you should be building your deck to actually win the game. Yeah, exactly. And the last note is that unlike a card like Season Pyromancer, Fable of the Mirror Breaker is compatible with Gigantha. 
compatible with Obosh, so it meets the requirements for a, a modern-day Magic card. Yeah, and I, I think the real reason that this card started seeing a lot of play in Pioneer is that Luris got banned. Um, you know, there was no reason to experiment with three-mana cards because the Luris version of Red Black was much better than the versions that exist right now. Um, but if you lose the best card in your deck, or I guess the best card in your sideboard that somehow you get to play in your main deck, um, that prompts you to look at maybe some of the three drops that you had not yet explored. So I think that that's probably the the initiation <laughs> event that uh, caused a lot of the, the pioneer modern exploration. So what can we do with this card? In terms of best use cases, key synergies, I think David hit the main ones, but basically when you have a card that can discard and draw, that will function in any kind of graveyard shenanigans you want to do, or you can just use it for filtering to improve your draw. It spits out a couple different tokens, and one of those tokens itself spits out treasure tokens. So if you're going the game objects route, as David says, that's one thing you could do, you know, if you want to put this into a sacrifice strategy. It happens to work with polymorph strategies or transmogrify strategies. This is a feature of all the Neon Dynasty sagas, as we've talked about in previous weeks playing around with Transmogrify. It is an enchantment as well. The only deck that really meaningfully would take advantage of that of that is Enigmatic Incarnation, but we've seen Claudio and Pioneer putting three or four copies of Fable into his Enigmatic decks as well and having good success. Yeah, it also helps find Enigmatic Incarnation. So again, that's a, a, a deck with a lot of polarized cards. I think that's that's the best... Uh, place that I've seen it used in Pioneer is the Enigmatic Incarnation list. Then if you want to build so you have like the highest possible ceiling, you, you should include some number of ETB creatures in your deck, just so that on turn 7 or 8 or 12 or whatever, when you finally get Reflection of Kiki-Jiki going, it will be nice to have something to copy for value. And we'll look at a few decks that just incidentally include creatures like that, like a Blood Tithe Harvester, for example. Also, just a, a just a rules note: copying uh, creature lands that you've animated does not work the way you want it to. Do not do that. Oh, they they don't come as creatures. No. <laughs> okay. I knew that that was like ninety nine percent the case in a game I was for sure gonna win, so I just did it on their end step to see what would happen. Um, like I gave them a whole turn cycle to not die just to see, and it, it worked the way I wanted. And then I've played against people, you know, obviously that are just. Um, copying Claudio's list or whatever they're they're trying this card out and they're copying their creature lands a lot so that that just doesn't do anything it it puts you know your uh eye of the beholder or your bugbear it just makes a tapped version of that land if you really need the mana maybe it's worth doing just to uh you'll get it'll get to untap on your your next turn if you if you really need an extra mana i guess hmm. okay so how strong is the card Full disclosure, when I proposed this card to you, you were not impressed, <laughs> let's say. You immediately said this card is barely playable in Pioneer and definitely not playable in Modern. Or at least not Modern Power Level is what you said, I think. Yeah, I did not say it was unplayable. I said I don't think it was at a Modern Power Level, and I had already been playing, I think I already played two leagues with my, or trying it out in my uh, Grixis Transmogrify list. Um... Yeah, I mean, it was just like a card. It was a thing you could do. It it wasn't uh, particularly powerful. Um, each of the individual phases is is very medium or medium minus, but you know they add up over the course of many turns to 
you you do get more than three mana out of the card. So it's a very strange card, right? It, it goes in, I think, decks that really want to either take advantage of the game objects or play a really small ball style of magic. And so I think, you know, you see it played in these red blacklists that are functionally the Jund of the format. You know, Four Fatal Push, Four Thoughtseize. I think you can even polarize it more. You could probably play like six one-mana removal spells and six one-mana discard spells and just use Blood and um, this card to basically move to the efficient card that works against, you know, whatever matchup you're facing. Because in the post-Luris world, the format has again become very bifurcated. The best deck is Blue-White Control by a lot. Um, the other decks that are doing well are, you know, Phoenix, Winota, Mono Red, uh, and Red Black kind of sits in the middle of that, right? It, it hopes to attack each of those in a, in a different way, um, but it needs to have the right efficient answers to those those decks. And so the the thought is, even though this card is not good against aggro or good against control, hopefully it it finds you the cards that are good against each of those matchups. Yeah, and I think playing a low resource game or a small ball game, as we say colloquially will help you get the most out of the card. And that's true for all of the Neon Dynasty sagas. They function a lot like the suspend creatures from original Time Spiral, or whatever block that was. Time Spiral. Yeah. With suspend, you could just pay one mana, and then wait a few turns, like five turns, and then all of a sudden you get this 5-5 five, five haste Dirkwood Bailoth or something that you only paid one mana for, because time is so precious in Magic. I mean, tempo is such a big part of the game. So when you have to wait for something, they're going to give you just a really generous package of stuff. I mean, when you add up how much stuff you get, you know, we can assess it at something like five or six mana worth of stuff out of a three mana card. I mean, we can split hairs over exactly like how that mana is allocated between the different effects, but you're getting a lot out of this one card. Now, that's if the game proceeds for that many turns, if you haven't lost to something else in the meantime. Yeah, and that's why I was finding the list that I was playing to be frustrating because, like, I could not keep a hand that was like one mana removal spell, two fables, and a four drop with three lands. That's like not a keepable hand against aggro. Uh, but again, with red black, it probably is because your deck is just loaded with removal. It's not trying to actually win the game, it's trying to not lose the game. And so, this is hopefully helping you find the cards that do that. I don't think it's good in decks that have like proactive strategies. I think it's very good in decks or better, much better in decks that are very reactive. They want to play 10 or 12 turn games. If you're going to do that, you can get, you know, your four and a half, five mana out of this card because, you know, whatever, that turn that you loot, you're finding the two Thoughtseize that take their, you know, five minute to ferry or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, you know, and, and we've seen like 10 different builds in red, black. You can kind of do whatever you want. You can play this card or not. You can play a bunch of other cards or not. There's a bunch of little packages you can build around. Um, I don't think one is right or wrong. You don't know what you're going to play in a given league. So uh, this is certainly one of the things you can do. And I think red, black is basically the Jund of the format. If you like playing Jund, that it, it does the Jund thing. So then where do you land initially on like how strong the card is? Um, I think it's one of many three drops you can play. Uh, it's probably about as good as like Bonecrusher Giant. Hmm. Okay. Obviously, they're better against certain matchups. I mean, it's so hard to compare like a raw power level card. I mean, you know, Bonecrusher Giant functions as a two for one sometimes, but not always. This card can function as better than a two for one in the best case. It, sometimes it's not even close. Um. 
Like, for instance, sometimes to get the treasure, I just had to attack my 2-2 into a bigger creature. And playing against this deck, they've had to attack their 2-2 into me because they desperately need that treasure. It's nice to have that option, right? But it's like a, it makes a mana elf that sacrifices itself to make a treasure one time. You know, you did not get very much out of that first uh, thing. But let's say you play a deck that can't kill that 2-2 or chooses not to. And I get to attack multiple times to make multiple treasures. So... It, it's a very high uh, ceiling, low basement type of card. I don't, think, I don't think the basement is that low. Like, even in that scenario where they threw away their first token to get a treasure, they still got to discard two, draw two, and then they're still getting a, a creature the next turn. Like, all of that off of one card. So for me, it's like pretty medium to high floor and potentially high ceiling, although maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know how high the ceiling is. I have yet to see it take over a game. Well, I mean, I've copied Agent of Bolas with it multiple times. So, I mean, that's that's as high as it gets. One mana. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you have the agent at your end of turn. So they both trigger if you control three permanents. <laughs> so you think it was like one mana tap, do two damage to your opponent, take their Planeswalker, draw three, and then do it again next turn. <laughs> I mean... They don't make uh, three meta cards too much more powerful than that. <laughs> yeah, I forget that Agent Abolas has an additional ability. I do too. I was like, what the hell's going on? Why do I have nine cards in my hand? <laughs> this card bugged. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at some lists. I've been prowling the interwebs looking for published lists and also scouring the, the Twitter discourse to see the chatter. And I mean, opinions are split right now. Claudio's done a lot of great work in Pioneer, building different Rakdos builds and putting it into Incarnation. And he was saying that he thinks the card is good to very, very good and you should put it in every deck. And you know, I, I see some people like uh, Cabeza de Bolo, who's another Rakdos specialist made top eight in one of the pioneer challenges and said, you know, the car feels broken, but that's one side of the spectrum. On the other hand, you have someone like, um, canister, Piotr Gagausi saying that, you know, it doesn't, doesn't feel like a modern power level card to him for sure. He found himself rarely actually wanting to cast it and he just had to wait too long for it to provide an impact. Yeah. And part of that has to do with the formats, right? I mean, just because a card is good in Pioneer does not mean it's going to be good in Modern. They're they're totally different formats. Uh, Modern much closer to Legacy than it is to Pioneer. Yeah. I mean, it's going to take a lot to break into Modern, but I mean, you have people like uh, Ari Lex tweeted out that he thinks that a good percentage of decks in Modern that play Season Pyromancer might actually want to play Table of the Mirror Breaker instead. And this is something that Damon and Emmy talked about last week. Is this true? I mean, we've, we're seeing people pick it up in Modern as well. So we're going to talk about Pioneer first, because I think that's where the card is strongest. It's more of a keeping with the power level of the format. But we will also look at some Modern lists to close out this episode. But let's start in Pioneer. So David, Rakdos, or the Jund of the format, how would a deck using Fable of the Mirror Breaker look? Well, first of all, I think you uh, are always going to want to play some number of Kroxa, which, as you know, is not my favorite card, but Kroxa is the best, one of the best things to discard. Um, I like various uh, other cards with Madness. I think you can play Asylum Visitor. I think you can play Fiery Temper. You have something highlighted here. Somebody was playing Bloodhall Priest. Awesome to see that card uh, make an appearance. So I think you you don't need to play a lot, but because you're you're for sure going to play four Blood Tithe Harvester, which is one of the better cards in the deck. I think every red black deck is basically playing four at this point. Um, you just have a lot of discard outlets. 
And then I think you really just want to like polarize your deck. So I think you want to have five one mana removal spells at least. I think you want to have five one mana discard spells. And then just let your blood and uh, fable find, you know, the, the half of your deck that's good against whatever your opponent is doing. Uh, as for the other stuff, I mean, I'm a Graveyard Trespasser guy. That card is just great, but you, do, you don't have to play all four. Do you want to play Bonecrusher Giant or not? Do you want to play the Oni Cult Anvil Synthesizer Package? Do you want to play the um, Cat Oven Combo? I mean, you, you can do some of those things or not. You can just play a bigger deck where you have a bunch of four-drop Planeswalkers. They're, they're all reasonable. You can play Deadly Dispute or not. Yeah, and we've seen lists in the last week using all of those packages. So people are definitely trying this stuff. Yeah, it's so hard for me to tell. Like, all these decks look fine. They all look, you know, I would have a hard time determining, like, what is better unless I knew exactly what I was going to play. Like, Jabberwocky just won a challenge with a red-black list, and I was like, oh, he must have been playing Fable. He played zero Fable. Uh, and then the fourth-place list in that same challenge, again, no Fable, and they just played a bigger black-red list. So, you know, there, there's just so many options, right? Like, all these cards are super efficient. There's, like, four or five little packages you can sneak in or not. Um, you can target, right? Like, if you play four main deck Graveyard Trespasser, you're going to have a great Phoenix matchup. You know, it's also great against aggro. It's not as good against control. Or do you want to be better against other matchups? It's just so hard to say. So, it's very tailorable. That's much like Jund, right? Do you want to play Bloodbraid Elf in your uh, Jund list now? Now that they banned Lurus, I guess I'm saying the, the deck is very tailorable. Um, you can play all four Fables. You could just play it as a one or two of. I mean, you know, this is not a card that requires you to play all four of them. You don't have to play any cards that are, are value discards. You don't even have to play Kroxa if you don't want. You could just, like, dance describing. You just, like, your bad Lannery Storm on turn three is good enough because you have all this other, like, value coming behind it. That 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 might be fine, too. All right, so that's Rakdos. Uh, the other place where you're definitely going to run into Fable is against the Transmogrify strategies. And that might be a misnomer because, as you pointed out to me, David, they're really not focused on Transmogrify anymore. They've become kind of just like a classic three or four color Fires of Invention deck, often with Yorian and just a bunch of value Planeswalkers and Sagas. Yeah, so Transmogrify was one of our cards from last week, and I played a bunch of decks are really focused on Transmogrifying, and I found that the strategy actually be pretty limited. Um, and so what we're noticing is these decks have moved away uh, from Transmogrifying, which I think is correct. So exactly like you're saying, it's a Fires of Invention list. You can win multiple games without ever uh, Fires of, in excuse me, without ever Transmogrifying. One of the things that Fable lets you do is, you know, continue to cycle through your bad cards. You know, if you draw Agent uh, and you don't think you're going to get to seven mana, you can discard it, etc. Um, they're even playing, again, I love these polarizing cards. Rip Apart uh, is a card that often is bad, but you can just discard it. I mean, the cards that replace themselves, like Birth of Melitus and Omen of the Sea, are great with Fable because just cards in your hand can turn into other cards. But yeah, this, you know, fundamentally they're just Jeskai lists or four color if they're playing Chariot um, that have the backup plan as they're playing their control game. You have to interact with that. And then if you tap out at any point, they might be able to transmogrify into an agent. And if they get to blink it for free with your Ryan with fires out, then the game is over. Or if like to copy it with Reflection of Kikijiki, as you did. Yeah, exactly. If they, if, if they do nothing and you transmogrify your first token and then on turn seven you get to 
uh, tap and counter Agent of Treachery, that game is definitely, definitely over. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Naya Winota, which at various times has been a tier one deck in the format. And, and is again. Yeah, has also picked up Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Not everyone, but I think most of the people playing this deck now are playing four copies of Fable. And the first published list from, I believe, the Friday PTQ in Pioneer, it was Naya, but they also included two copies of Agent of Treachery in that kind of Angress Marauder uncastable slot. So like in addition to Tovalar's Huntmaster, they had two copies of Agent of Treachery. Is that specifically because of Fable of the Mirror Breaker? Or is it just like a way to attack the format? I'm not sure, but it is now like another thing that Winota decks can do. And I have to say that the Fable just making a lot of game objects is pretty good in the Winota deck. Yeah, so the one thing Winota decks have always tried to figure out is like, what's the best way to win games where I don't Winota? But the this deck is saying, I'm just going to Winota a bunch, right? The 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 rummage is actually much better because Winota is by far the best card in the deck. So discarding random cards has a lot of value. So they're more just like all in on the Winota. They want their Winotas to be better. They're playing agents exactly like you're describing. They're hoping that they can loot those agents away because Winota. So Winota like gives them a backup plan to like be all in on Winota. Hopefully find Winota on turn four a reasonable number of the time because we have actual selection in our Nihilist. And then our, our Winota hits are better. We're, we're much more likely to win if we hit Winota. Um, and I actually kind of like it. I actually think decks maybe got too fair. They're like, oh, we can win these non-Winota games. It's like, you actually can't. So I, I, I think this mentality that like I need to be all in a Winota, that that's what makes this deck actually worthwhile to be doing. And I, I want a card that allows me to, again, polarize my list, right? I've got these agents that are terrible if I draw them, but I can always turn them into just a different piece of cardboard. So um, I, I like the mentality behind it. I've, I've played this list and, and it's actually felt bad playing against it, but I, maybe I just played them when they had bad draws or, or I had very good draws. Uh, but I like the mentality of, of constructing your list in this way. Yeah, there was a time when the Winota decks would play three or four copies of Eldritch Evolution because they felt like the, in order to win, we have to get Winota down. And then after a while, everyone stopped playing that, and they felt like in order to win, we have to be able to win the fair game when we don't have Winota. Maybe Fable is kind of splitting the difference, where it's it's not Eldritch Evolution, it is like a functional card on its own, but it just gets you that much closer. Yeah, I mean, I played against a deck that played Winota on turn three, Eldritch Evolution for it on turn four and turn five, and won. Um... But man, those are scary turns. So, <laughs> um, but you know that list because it was playing Eldritch Evolution is missing creatures, right? Because the the Fable does make creatures. Eldritch Evolution removes creatures from the game or from play, and they didn't have as many good hits. They didn't have Agent in their list, right? So there's a lot going on there with the decision. I mean, you're really just saying, look, I'm going to hit Winota by turn four a huge number of times, and when Winota hits i want her i don't want to miss basically right um and yeah may, maybe it solves a lot of the problems that winota was having right if you load up on your, all your sweet winota hits that means if you don't hit winota your deck sucks if you don't have enough winota hits i mean i've survived a lot of winota attacks as they made their deck more fair i mean just putting a couple tutus into play or something that's just not good enough yeah exactly other places where you will run into fable in pioneer enigmatic incarnation as we said 
This is a 95 card, or rather, this is an 80 card Yorian deck. It goes all the way up the curve, so in order to make the enigmatic engine function, you need to have enchantments that you can sacrifice to find a creature at the next step up in the mana chain. The modern version of this deck, which is something that Emmy loves, kind of focuses on exactly going from two to three. So two mana enchantments, finding three mana creatures. But the pioneer version goes all the way up the curve. You'll find them sacrificing three mana enchantments to get a four mana creature, sacrificing four mana enchantments, like Fires of Invention, to get a five mana creature. And because they're more interested in enchantments at every spot on the curve, uh, I think Fable gets a little bit more attractive. It does smooth out the draw, so you're you're looking at a toolbox, so you're going to have all kinds of random one-ofs. And if you look at like Claudio's most recent list, it's chock full of stuff that just wasn't there before. I counted like five or six new cards from Neon Dynasty, uh, starting with Jukai Naturalist, the green-white enchantment creature that reduces the cost of your enchantments by one. That's just a nice card to get Enigmatic down a turn earlier. There's a single copy of Spirited Companion. This is the Elvish Visionary, one in a white ETB cantrip. There's a Gloom Shrieker. This is one black-green for a 2-1 menace enchantment creature. When it enters a battlefield, you get a mini Eternal Witness effect. You get back any permanent from your graveyard into your hand. And there's even one copy of Tatsunari Toad Rider, whose text I cannot remember right now, but... I know it makes a toad. Whenever you cast an enchantment, if you don't have the legendary toad in play, you create one. And if you do have the toad in play, the opponent loses life and you gain life. Oh, yes. So much much like my experience here, you step on a toad and then yeah, the next terrible, turn there's another freaking toad in your sidewalk <laughs> in the street outside your house. Just endless toads. Yeah, so worth noting, there is no four-mana creature for them to tutor. Um, and Fable is the only three-mana enchantment. Well, there's Archon of Sun's Grace. There's one. Oh, I cannot see it in the screenshot that is here. So, okay, that, that's worth noting. Um, but yeah, so it's really just a selection tool. And again, you've got all these you know cards that are fine, like Chain of the Rocks is great against certain decks. We could imagine which ones those are. Um, you know, Deafening Silence is better against a different class of deck. So you have this ability to search through your deck and you also have your ability to hopefully try to find your uh, two engine cards, right? Your, your fires are enigmatic incarnation sort of functioning like the community spirits card we talked about uh, the other week while also being an enchantment on plan. And um, you know, in the instance where again, where your opponent does nothing and it's turn seven, getting to copy some of these really powerful cards. Um, your top end is all legends, but all your threes and uh, two mana creatures all have uh, good come into play abilities that are worth copying. Yeah, exactly. So Enigmatic has survived the banning of Luris. This was one of the only decks that played Luris main deck. It's a little bit sad that they won't have that line available anymore, but maybe with Fable they can they can make do <laughs> without it. All right, moving on to some more speculative strategies. Fable the Mirror Breaker lets you discard two and draw two. Is there a graveyard deck in Pioneer? David, you've done some work on reanimator strategies. Probably the most popular reanimator strategy right now involves Parhelion 2 and Greasefang Okiba boss. People are trying this. I mean, there's a Mardu Greasefang list. One took 11th place in the Pioneer Challenge. Another list showed up in the 5-0s. 
you're looking at some amount of blood creatures, blood tithe harvester being the best one. Often Voldaren Epic Hero is there as well. You need discard outlets. You need to make sure that Parhelion 2, which is an eight mana vehicle, can get safely into the graveyard so that when you draw a Grease Fang or keep a boss, play that, bring Sparhelion back, you attack, you get a massive army. You know, you attack for 11 damage and have two angels left over. 13 damage. 13 damage. <laughs> so that's the dream. A lot of moving parts, but the more discard outlets that are actually like strong cards independently you can put in the deck, the more plausible your strategy becomes. So just to take a look at this challenge list, for example, um, they're playing Blood Tithe Harvester, Voldaren Epicure, a couple Lightning Axe, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker. They've even got Stitcher Supplier to self-mill. And some interesting reanimation options, two copies of Can't Stay Away, which is an unearth with flashback uh, for white-black, and the flashback is three white-black, which is kind of nice. It gets back Grease Fang Akiba Boss. Yeah, I mean, this seems like a huge upgrade on the Abzan list. The Abzan lists are terrible. Even with the garbage list I play, I'm just always at least 1-4, like just beat up on the random Abzan, uh, <laughs> whatever, because you're adding the uh, Bloodmakers. And the Bloodmakers just increase your consistency so much more than uh, random mill. Like, Seder Wayfinder is just not a good card for graveyard decks. Uh, you want to put specific cards in your graveyard. Citrus Supplier is cheap enough and it works with Deadly Dispute and right, I guess you, you just have to accept it. But, you know, getting to replace Seder Wayfinder with Blood Tithe, Har Blood Tithe Harvester is just such a massive upgrade. And Fable continues in, the, in that same way. Um, and then making the treasure is just like, again, having all those extra game objects for your disputes and rights, um, you know, is, is just worth worth doing. Another graveyard strategy that you will not see very often, but there was one in the 5-0s this week, is the Storm Herald combo deck. And this is a card that, you know, we've dabbled with this. It's from Theros Beyond Death. It's two and a red for a 3-2 haste, human shaman. When Storm Herald enters a battlefield, return any number of aura cards from your graveyard to the battlefield attached to creatures you control. Exile those auras at the beginning of your next end step. So you, you kind of get a one-shot reanimation for any number of auras. The question is, can you turn a single Storm Herald into a guaranteed kill? And this is something that, you know, we've messed around with all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, classification is one of the exciting ways to do it. It gives your creature plus 20, plus 20. Unfortunately, it taps the creature. Now, it turns out that in Pioneer, you can play the card Burning Anger, Another aura costs five, but it allows your creature to tap itself to deal damage equal to its power to any target. And you can do that in response to the classification tap trigger. So it's very much like a one-trick pony, one-shot kind of deck. You just have a bunch of looting effects, try to fill your graveyard with all the auras you need, find the Storm Herald, cast it, return the auras, and win. Yeah, we I played a, a, a blue-red version of this on our uh, YouTube show for Wizards of the Coast, actually. I think I 3-2'd in a much more powerful Pioneer uh, before companions were eroded. So <laughs> no, everyone who's uh, you know doing well with it now can kiss my ass. <laughs> I, I, try, try doing this when you can just freaking just cast Luris for three mana. <laughs> but yeah, love, love these upgrades. Um, the white just makes it so much more consistent. Uh, Heliod's Pilgrim, uh, Open the Armory, Thrilling Discovery is a sweet new card. 
Uh, getting to play Chain the Rocks is maybe the best removal in the format if you are playing white-red. Um, yeah, Fable works perfectly because you want a lot of bodies. Storm Herald does not target, so they have to kill whatever creatures are in play. Just killing Storm Herald, the trigger goes on the sack. It can crew up the whatever the garbage, what is it, just a Goblin Shaman. The, if there's just multiple bodies from Fable of Mirror Breaker lying around, those cards will also do the job. So just putting buys into play while also looting is very relevant uh, in this list. Yeah, absolutely. Just holding removal up actually does not stop the Storm Herald combo if they have multiple creatures in play, which is not intuitive. All right, one last strategy in Pioneer that has a little bit of a combo element. This comes from Mild Pro via our Faithless Brewing Discord channel. And Milepro said they've been working on this Gruel list and it's starting to get pretty good. It's pretty sweet. So what's the combo? Well, in Gruel, you can pair Fable of the Mirror Breaker with Combat Celebrant. This is from Amonkhet. It's two and a red for a 4-1 human warrior. If Combat Celebrant hasn't been exerted this turn, you may exert it as it attacks. When you do... Untap all other creatures you control, and after this phase, there is an additional combat phase. So what happens when you have the backside of Fable of the Mirror Breaker and a Combat Celebrant? Well, you can activate Reflection of Kikijiki to copy the Combat Celebrant, attack with the token copy of Combat Celebrant, exert the token. When that happens, you untap all your creatures, and you get an additional combat step. So you're untapping the reflection of Kikijiki, even though it didn't attack, it's now ready to go. Tap it again, copy the combat celebrant again, attack with that copy, exert that, untap your reflection of Kikijiki. And what happens is you end up getting one attack step for each mana you have available. And that should be enough to win the game, assuming that you know they didn't just kill your creature immediately once they saw what you were trying to do. Yeah, I mean... If you get those parts assembled, I you you are winning. I think it's fair to call that a win. Um, and then this deck just has a reasonable fair plan, right? You can just go Llanowar Elf, you know, Garrick's Harbinger. If your opponent can't stop that, all of a sudden it's it's hitting all these creatures. Um, I'm wondering if there's a way we can add haste to this deck to kind of speed up that combo without uh, disrupting the sort of plan B here. Yeah, that's that's a great thought. Because the cool thing about the cool thing about the the flipped fable is it doesn't cost you any mana that the turn that it comes into play, um, so you you could spend a lot of mana right. You could play the uh, like four mana Arlen or something that turn and give it haste and go for it like all all of a sudden out of nowhere. Or I'm not saying the four mana Arlen court is a great card, just a card like that. Yeah, Milan Pro had mentioned the card Reckless Stormseeker as a card they want to test next. That's a werewolf two and a red. And at the beginning of combat, you get to give a creature plus one plus one haste. So that could be the thing that gives haste to your reflection of Kikijiki. You only, you only need to do it once, and that's enough to set everything in motion. Yeah, and it's also worth noting, like, haste is really good. Uh, that card is very good with Werewolf Pack Leader. You know, that turn you actually get to trigger. Turn, if you play Werewolf Pack Leader, turn two. Um the the haste granter turn three as we as we actually discussed uh, I think during that spoiler week that's a card granting haste to an Asika's chariot uh, the turn it comes into play is very good it makes me wonder if we could build a version of this list Dan now that the man is even a little better 
uh, that Sahili Asikas chariot list. Uh, could we just staple the fable back into there? Uh, obviously, Sahili, great copying the the creature, the, the turn it comes into play, just like we described. Yeah, I, I like that a lot, actually. I'm not sold on Garrick's Harbinger myself, so maybe that's where the slots come from. Well, that's what I'm saying. Th- those are two different lists. I like I like adding the 2-3 the Haste Grantor to this list from Mile Pro. I think that's an awesome idea. And then us sort of tweaking that list, getting rid of probably the Combat Celebrant combo, and instead trying to build just like a more quote-unquote value list that, that uses Sahili, Asika's Chariot, and Fable. Oh, yeah. Get the Regisaur Elphos back in the deck. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but again, you know, one of the things that, that uh, Fable does is it can ramp to five. Uh, you, you said reliably. I'm not sure I'm 100% on board with that, but it, it can. <laughs> but it also fixes because it makes a treasure, so it can find blue for Sahili. And Sahili can even generate mana, right? Sahili copying the 2-2 the two, two token from the Fable the next turn. That actually goes makes two mana if they both attack, et cetera, et cetera. So I, there might be something there to sort of tweak out this cool idea from Pro. Yeah, for sure. And while we're on the subject, Asika's Chariot has some neat synergies with both the Fable and the Combat Celebrant. Reflection of Kikijiki makes a token copy of any creature. Asika's Chariot can populate or copy that token and you'll get a permanent copy of whatever creature you had. That's one thing it can do. The other thing you can do is, let's say you have a Combat Celebrant and an Asika's Chariot in play. You can crew up the Asika's Chariot with your cats. Attack with Chariot and Combat Celebrant. Now you exert, right? You're attacking for eight right there. You're copying a cat. Exert, so you untap your Asika's Chariot and all your cats. And then in your second combat step, they probably killed your Combat Celebrant, let's say. But your second combat step, your Asika's Chariot is already crewed. And now you've got another attack with the Chariot and the initial cats that crewed the Chariot get to attack that time too. And you get to make another cat. So you're actually attacking for 16 damage. Combat Celebrant's like a little fragile, right? We don't really see that played in normal decks, but I feel like there's like enough synergy, enough upside here that, you know, it's not out of place in what is otherwise just like a, a pretty, pretty solid looking gruel, smashy, good stuff kind of deck. Yeah, and it's definitely, right, like the ceiling is through the roof because it, these lines you're describing, you know, we're getting to a number that is 20 or larger uh, very quickly. Um, so <laughs> if they don't kill it, right, then then they die. If they do kill it, maybe that means, you know, when your fable completes its journey uh, it's <laughs> through life, then they, they, you know, they can't kill everything. So now maybe your, uh, your, um, your Kiki-Jiki lives. Yeah. All right, so we've been talking for a while. This is just in Pioneer. I mean, how many decks have we talked about already? Like 10? It's crazy to see how much you can do with Fable the Mirror Breaker. It is a card with a lot of text, a lot of different parts to it. Whether these are like the right homes for the card or whether this card is enough to make these suspicious decks into real contenders uh, remains to be seen, but it's fun to see like just how much a single tool can revitalize a little bit of juice to all these different strategies. Now, before we leave, I did promise a little bit of modern. So let's just shift gears for a second here and think about what does Fable of the Mirror Breaker mean in the context of modern? I referenced that Ari Lex proposal <laughs> where he's saying maybe 
decks that play Season Pyromancer and Modern would be better off playing Fable instead. You know, it leads to a higher resource game. In the head-to-head comparison, I think Season Pyromancer is just going to be a little bit more reliable, right? It, it gives you more immediate board presence. It's got that tantalizing upside of casting Caesar Pyromancer with an empty hand and just drawing two cards, so like raw card advantage. And it's just like, you know, a more proven card overall. But the ceiling, the ceiling is different and higher. And nothing says you can't just put Fable and Season Pyromancer together in the same deck. Which is actually what most of these Fable decks that have been published already are doing. They're just playing Fable as, you know, copies five through eight of Season Pyromancer. And they actually synergize in an interesting way. You know, if you want to have something good to copy with Fable, Caesar Pyromancer is a great card to copy with Fable, so it makes total sense to pair them. Yeah, and you know, it it creates lots of tensions, right? So like the ephemerate, the um Feign Death, Undying Evil. These cards aren't that good, although Undying Evil has an interesting effect with the uh, Kiki-Jiki. Um, and even the Blink. I mean, like you say, it's not the end of the world. You do get another 2-2. You do get to rummage again. Um, but I think in general, those cards are a little better with uh, Pyromancer. At the same time, the Fable is going to probably complete its entire cycle because creature removal is very common, right? The, the Season Pyromancer is going to die. Um, Fable is probably going to make it all the way to the end. And if you're playing cards like Solitude and Fury, that hopefully is slowing the game down, right? So you can eventually uh, generate value. You can trigger Fable um, with the sacrificing Fury or Solitude on the stack. That, so that's, you know, uh, that seems very powerful to me. Hmm. I like that. Planning ahead for when we untap with a non summoning six reflection. I love it. I love to see it. Yeah. I mean,. <laughs> And, you know, it's not unreasonable to get there. Like, if you cast Fury and Ephemerate it, it's going to be really hard for a creature deck to kill you before, you know, Fable eventually, you know, resolves. So when we look at the lists that are having some success already with Fable and Modern, they're mostly playing around with the MH2 elemental space. Fury, and then if you want to pair that with White, you have Fury and Solitude. You know, we have a Boros midrange deck. It uses all the good cards you'd expect. Ragavan, Esper Sentinel, Season Pyromancer, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Solitude, Fury, etc. If you don't like white and you want to go with black instead, so we no longer get Solitude, we instead get Grief. And now we're actually replicating that alchemy combo with City Stalker Connoisseur. Because Grief plus Fable of the Mirror Breaker does have the potential for like a draw step lock. You can just activate Reflection of Kiki-Jiki every draw step, copy Grief, and unless they draw an instant speed removal, they're just locked out of ever drawing a spell. So you can put some combination of Rakdos color cards together. And we, you know, we've seen decks like this before. They, they have Undying Evil, they have Undying Malice, Malachare Rebirth, etc., etc. If you're doing a lot of discarding you might want to get even more out of the graveyard so in modern the mean the premier reanimation strategy is our kind of cruelty which we sometimes see paired with like these ephemerate grief solitude packages so there's a, a mardu list that took 11th place in the modern challenge from xi per txt uh, that's basically doing exactly that right they, they've got Grief, Fury, and Solitude. You can have them all in Mardu. <laughs> They've got uh, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker, four Season Pyromancer, 
some ephemerates, and they've even got two copies of Touch of the Spirit Realm. Which is like a split card, ephemerate, and oblivion ring. It's kind of cool. Yeah, and you know, you just want to have a, a reasonable white card density for Solitude as well. It's probably part of the appeal. Exactly. Now, if we want to move away from that kind of attrition-style game, um, we might consider accelerating Fable into play. So look look more in the red-green space. We have an interesting list here from Mog, who is one of the top Magic Online veterans and grinders. They 5-0 with a list that looks on the surface like a grilled Ponza deck. It has Blood Moons. It has Magus of the Moons. These days, you want to have you know, a little more Magus than Blood Moon, I would say, just because Boseju is pretty prevalent these days. But what's interesting is that it's not pairing those with Arbor Elf and Utopia Sprawl. Instead, it's using Ignoble Hierarch and Ragavan. A bunch of three drops, so I already mentioned the moon effects, but there's Bonecrusher Giant, there's Seasoned Pyromancer, there's Fable the Mirror Breaker, there's Clothis. So you have something that looks like a 1-3 skip, but is actually really heavily, heavily loaded up with powerful three drops. And when you've done that, Bloodbraid Elf starts to get very attractive. So there's four copies of Bloodbraid Elf. There's three Ren and Six for additional ways to just fill your hand with stuff to discard to all your looters. And then to get some tempo back, there's four Fury, which is also a nice card to copy. So I, I feel like this is a really intelligently constructed list here from Mogged. It's probably bad because it has Bloodbraid Elf, but, you know, it's nice <laughs> that he's trying. Yeah, I mean, I think moving away from Arbor Elf is the thing to do. Like, Ragavan, the upside is just insane. Um, you even get the, like, backdoor Red and Six with the one of Besaju, one of Soken Zone. Like, just an amazing flood insurance built in there. Oh, yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> and yeah, I think Red and Six plus Season Pyromancer is just an amazing card of Anjinjin. And Fable the Mirror Breaker just, you know, gives you more of that, right? I mean, those are all very reasonable plays. The Fable token, you just throw in front of the bus, right? Just keep that Ren and Six around as long as possible. Keep putting lands in your hand. Fable will turn those into literally anything else, and, and then off, off you go. Yeah, I was wondering if we should revisit that um, Titania deck that I was exploring when MH2 originally came out, where I had 12 five drops in the deck. <laughs> I had four Fury, four Titania, and four Glorybringer. Oh, with Kiora. Yeah. If we believe that Fable of the Mirror Breaker can ramp you. I mean, I was playing Season Pyromancer in that deck just as a glue card. It was kind of the flex slot. But, you know, maybe Fable is that card instead. Doesn't copy Titania because of the legendary clause, but that's okay. Yeah, again, I think you really need to get a lot of value out of these uh, first couple <laughs> saga things. I've played a lot of leagues of Fable, and, you know, the, the games where you get to copy stuff are games you are going to win with any three drops. So you want Fable to win the game for you. Uh, a lot on Saga 1 and 2, and it, it gives you some stuff there. You have to make use of that. Last place we're seeing it in Modern is just Mono Red decks. M. Hayashi will put any combination of red cards into a deck <laughs> and will eventually 5-0. Here we have an old list where there's four Fables, four Season of Pyromancer, and a, a mix of red cards. March of Reckless Joy stands out as one that, you know, some people feel like it's a staple and others just don't touch the card at all. Collectively, it seems like there are decks where you can put Fable in. It'll be on plan. I'm not sure how strong it is. I'm going to have to try this myself. That'll be our sort of my modern exploration for the week. 
And maybe when Emmy is back next week, we we will tell you a little bit about how our testing went. Yeah, it's a card that, you know, I, I think it's like a shadow unban from the Luris thing, just encouraging people to think outside the box. And it still is cheap, right? It's only three mana. I mean, that's the big thing. I see people try, starting to play some really expensive cards. It's like, well, the main lesson Luris taught us is your deck should just be not very expensive. This is a three mana card that makes a mana creator of some kind and eventually, you know, provides a threat that your opponent has to answer after after it gives you some value. So, um. You know, putting in all these decks, especially with Fury, I think is just a great idea. Fury is a, a card that forces your opponent to not kill you quickly. Uh, in the late game, this copying Fury every turn cannot be beaten uh, by aggro decks. And it also can ramp to Fury in a pinch. So it, at least, at the very least, gives you a great matchup against decks that are, are trying to put a lot of creatures into play. Yeah. So having seen all these decks, and you know, I haven't even mentioned all of them, there's even like a Karn prison deck here with Fable. There's a red-green ramp that's splashing Archon of Cruelty. I don't know what's going on there. It's a time of wild experimentation. Do you feel like there's one avenue that's like more promising than all the others? I mean, in modern... Or in Pioneer. Well, I think, I think, I think in Pioneer... I think this card is actually just great in Enigmatic Incarnation. I think it solves a lot of the problems that that deck had. I'm not surprised that Claudio is 5-0'd with it like over and over again. Um, and I actually expect him probably to have a great finish in one of the challenges uh, with the Enigmatic Incarnation list one of these days. Because more than any other deck, that deck just wants a bunch of game objects and this provides them to you. And then in the worst case scenario for that deck, the worst case scenario is you get all the value of your saga and then just copy a three drop for value. Uh, whereas most decks are like hoping to get that to happen. This doesn't care. It can always just turn it into a four drop. Okay. Vote of confidence for Enigmatic Incarnation. I'm of course tempted by the silly combos. So this, this list from Mild Pro is very tempting to me. <laughs> the combat celebrant list. <laughs> With or without Combat Celebrant. I mean, if it ends up being the, the team or Sahelia deck, that I'm okay with that outcome as well. <laughs> as long as you're doing 22 damage to somebody uh, out of nowhere, then, you know, it's, it's probably okay. Exactly. All right. I think that's going to do it for our initial exploration of Fable of the Mirror Breaker. But we are not done for the week. We will be back on Sunday to tell you about some of our testing, some of the decks we've been playing in both Modern and Pioneer, and check in on some of the goings-ons in the wider magic world. Until then, sir, take care. Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And check back on Sunday for testing results with Seance in Modern and Transmogrify in Pioneer. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you, if you like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.